Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much that you're a good God, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you teach us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and that you want us to be conformed to your ways. You want us to walk in the truth, Lord, to have a heart that is turned towards you, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that our hearts would be purified by your word, Lord, that we would look to your ways, Lord, and trust in you, Lord, in all things. Pray, Lord, that you would bless this time that we have together and may we look at your word and learn great things. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we're going to be learning about believing a pure gospel. For we live in a world that's filled with different beliefs. We see religions that confess faith in Jesus Christ and we see different teachings on how people receive God's forgiveness Um, how people receive eternal life and how people get to heaven. And some people believe that they've always got the truth. And sometimes when you go and look at what people call truth and you have a clear examination of it, you start to see, wait a second, there's something not quite right here. And you start to see lies mixed in with the truth, which is called deception. Now, for us, if we're going to actually learn about deception in other people's lives, we even need to see it in our own lives. And what we need to be is people that are humble and teachable to God. Now, if I was to ask you the question, do you believe that everything you believe is true? I know that the answer that you're going to give is yes. Because for you to say, I believe in lies, is just stupid. Right. But if you say that you believe that everything you believe is true, that's true. But if I was to ask you this question, is there a chance that you might believe something that is biblically wrong? My answer to that would be yes, right? You can have an answer for yourself, but if you really look at it, there's a times where you can think that you've received something the wrong way. You might have misinterpreted something in the Bible. You might have heard from a teacher that you thought had the truth, but he got it wrong. But this is the thing. The truth is, is there's times in our life where we've got it wrong. So the question I asked myself one time was this, and It's something that you might need to ask yourselves too, is what type of attitude for God should you have to find what is biblically wrong in your life? And the answer is this, a humble, teachable and discerning attitude for God. If you think about it, these are biblical things. As the Bible says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's James 4, 5, because that's the attitude we've got to have, a humble attitude before God. Um, In Romans 3, 4, it says this, it says, let God be true and every man a liar. That's a hard one for us to practice. Because do you want to know something? It's easy to go, well, God's true, but that person over there could be a good liar. But is it easy to look in the mirror and say that? It's not an easy thing to do because there's areas in our own lives where we need to realise that when we come to the Lord, we come with wrong things in our thoughts and in our minds. And that our minds need to be purified by the word of God. The other thing is, is in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, test all things and hold fast to what is good. And you know that that responsibility is on us. It's not someone to do it for us. We're to check it out for ourselves. So our outline for today's teaching, we're going to be looking at believing a pure gospel. And our first point will be this, the gospel and the unseen enemy. Beware of deception in your life. We're going to be looking at that. The second point is, The warning in Galatians, beware of another gospel. Because there's people out there that teach other gospels. And these other gospels, they don't save you. They actually destroy your life. And they can destroy you in one of two ways, which we will look at. Um, The third point we're going to look at is the first outcome of a false gospel is not getting saved from your sins. And the second outcome of receiving a false gospel is that you've received the true gospel, but you've departed to a false gospel of works. So we've got the gospel and the unseen enemy, but we're of deception within. And the first thing we need to look at is understanding the power of the gospel, because there's three things that will keep you out of heaven. And these are the three things. They are sin, they are the law, and they are righteousness. And if you think about it, The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is this, that in the beginning when God created us, he created us to glorify God, to honour him, to live in his ways. 
But the problem is, if we look at our lives, we have all sinned. We've not lived up to that glory which he's created us to. So we're 100% sinful before God. Now, if we look at the next problem, the next problem that we have is the law. And in James 2.10, it says this, Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. So in other words, you only have to break one law to be a lawbreaker. I mean, you can look at lying, you can look at stealing, you can look at adultery or even sexual immorality, which people practice. You can look at other things out there, even being bitter or having hatred in your heart or unforgiveness is sin. But if you break the law in one point, it says that you're guilty of all. So in a sense, we'll be 100% guilty before God of breaking the law. And then when we come to the next point, it's actually righteousness. And what the Bible says is there is none righteous, no, not one. That's Romans 3.10. Showing us that we're not right before God in our own strength and in our own ways which makes us 100% not right with God. But that's why the gospel is important. The gospel is important because of this. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through to 4. It says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So we see that Jesus deals with our sin. He's the one who died on the cross for our sin. He rose from the dead. He defeats sin at the cross, which makes us 100% paid for. That Jesus paid for all of our sins. He paid for the past ones. He paid for the present ones. He paid for the future ones. He paid for all of it. He endured that all at the cross. Now, if we look at the law, how does Jesus deal with the law? Well, this is what it says here. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. That's Romans 10.4. That means that once you believe in Jesus, the law is no longer against you. In other words, the law cannot condemn you. It also means this, that you're no longer under the law of Moses. You're under a new covenant, right? So what happens here is Christ ends the law for believers. It doesn't mean that he goes and tells us to be lawless, so don't misinterpret that. There is the law of Christ where we obey the Lord and love the Lord. But we've got to understand that we're no longer under the law of Moses when we're saved. The next one is righteousness, because if you're 100% not right with God, what does Jesus do? Well, he makes us right. In Romans 4, 5, it says this, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What that means is this, that God can look at a person that is ungodly. Do they deserve heaven? No. But because they have trusted that Jesus died for their ungodliness at the cross, their faith is counted as righteousness, which makes them 100% right with God. And if you notice something here, we're 100% right with God. Jesus ends the law for the believers and he pays for all our sins. And this is done at the cross through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, but we have an unseen enemy. And what he wants to do is he actually wants to deceive us. He wants to distort the truth. He wants to delay us. He wants to detour us and he wants to destroy us. When you've become a Christian and you've trusted in Christ, you've got an enemy, whether you liked it or not, even if you didn't pick a fight with him, he's coming after you. And you know what? He doesn't like you. He's not your friend. He'll pretend to be, but he'll pat you on the back with a knife in it. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy your life. And one of his tricks for destroying the life is this. I've got this thing stuck up the top here. Sorry, guys. How do I get rid of that? What do I do? The pin? There we go. Sorry, guys. Right. One of the things that the devil wants to do is destroy our lives. And if we read 2 Corinthians 11, 3, 3 to 4, it says this. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom you have not preached, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Now, I want to point out something. There's three things mentioned here which are the main focuses of Christianity. 
The main focuses of Christianity are this, to be Christ-centred, to be gospel-centred, and to be spirit-filled. So what does the devil do? He preaches another Jesus, he brings another gospel, and he gives you another spirit. They're the counters here. But we're looking at one of these today, and what it says here is this, that Paul was concerned from the Corinthians, Corinthians being deceived from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see how it's got the word simplicity there? Because the gospel's meant to be simple. I remember when I got saved from my sins, my first baby words were, how could I be so stupid? God made it so simple and I made it difficult. And the reason why I said that is because I thought that I would be saved by good works. But when I found out I was saved by faith, it was simplicity. It was simple. And the simplicity that he deceives us from is someone comes and preaches a different gospel. And it's got these words here. You may well put up with it. When I read these words for the first time, I thought that sounds like a weird thing for Paul to say. But what does he mean by it? Well, what he means by it is this. For some reason, my thing is stopping. Just wait a second. Sorry, guys, it's being naughty. It's not doing what I want it to do. It's not working. Oh, there we go. Is that working there? Oh, sorry, too fast. All good, got it sorted now. <laughs> sorry about that, guys. Um, what it means that you may as well put up with it is you are all too willing to listen. In other words, he's saying, oh, you're willing to listen to another gospel. You're happy to listen to it. It says how well you put up with these things. That's like a compliment for someone. Like, you know, if you see someone walk, they bump their head on the door and you say, that was a good one. Well, what he's saying is, is this, right? You're so good at putting up with another gospel. It's like, like doing that. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those uh, compliments that you give to someone that's not a good compliment. And if you can't understand the facetiousness in what Paul's saying, he's actually saying this. You are happy to believe a different good news from the one you first believed. And what we need to look at is this. Is should a Christian put up with a different gospel? And this is the thing, we should not put up with a different gospel. Now, the go so the gospel message which the devil wants to distort is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. And do you know what he likes to do? He likes to take away from it. And just say he takes away the cross, that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Well, what you end up with is Islam. Muhammad said this, They said in boast, we killed Jesus, the son of Mary. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. That's Al-Nisa, Surah 4, Ayah 157a. And this gives us no saviour, no sin payment, no resurrection and no hope. And the reality of it is you can see that Islam is actually a hopeless religion because it can't save anyone. There's no saviour in it. It's either you do it, which people can't do it, and it just takes away salvation from people. Another thing where the cross is taken away is I've heard a, a teaching called the crossless gospel, where people teach you to save by faith, but they don't teach the gospel message on where you're saved by the cross. And this is the thing. We need to always come back to what the gospel teaches. Another thing that um, the devil wants to mess with is the reason why Jesus died. The Bible says that he died for our sins, so he wants to take that away. And what you end up with is what some people teach. Some people teach that Jesus died to be a good example or a martyr or to make you healthy, wealthy and wise, which is the prosperity gospel. I mean, if Jesus died to be a good example, that leads to works-based salvation. And what I mean by that is this, that if Jesus is good enough to get to heaven by all his works and dying on the cross and he's a good example, then you can have a go too. But that doesn't save anyone. Um, some people teach that Jesus died to be a martyr and this leads to Jesus dying for a cause and not for our sins. I mean, this is like a, a social injustice gospel. I mean, one of the most stupid misrepresentations I've seen of this before is that I remember hearing someone teaching that Jesus died to be a Palestinian freedom fighter to free people from Israel and their, their leadership and the corrupt leadership of that day. And I remember seeing that, I shook my head, and I wouldn't be surprised, right, if they bring out one on Jesus died for climate change to get the carbon-14 out of the air. I wouldn't be surprised if some idiot fought that up. 
But this is what some people will teach. They will go and corrupt the gospel. And then we've got the one that we see that came like a flood through the church, the prosperity gospel, you know, that, that leads to people treating Jesus like a genie. And if you really think about it, people are teaching that Jesus died so that you can become a little God and that you can have word of faith power and you can go and speak health, wealth and wisdom into your life and live happily ever after. I mean, that is not the gospel. That's another gospel that doesn't save anyone. The other thing that the devil likes to take away is the resurrection. When he takes away the resurrection, he leaves you with what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It says this, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Your faith is also empty. You are still in your sins. And we are of all men to be the most pitiable. And if you really think about it, right, if Jesus isn't raised, there's no use for you to even sit here today. You may as well just go home. But you want to know something? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And we have a unity and a faith based upon a living saviour. Not some dead person in the ground, but someone that is alive. Another trick that the devil likes to play is he likes to add on to the gospel. I mean, he'll say, yeah, you can believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead, but you've got to be baptised to wash away your sins. No. Baptism doesn't save anyone. Some people add on speaking in tongues. I've got an uncle that teaches this, and all you hear is tongues this, tongues that, tongues, tongues, tongues. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised if they didn't look at the cross one day, they didn't see a tongue up there. Right? Because they talk about it so much, it's almost like their central message. What about this one, going to church saves? You ever heard people say, I go to church, I'm okay, I'm all right with God. No, that doesn't save you. Or good works. And they think that it equals salvation, it doesn't. See, adding on does not help us get saved. We don't need to fix a work that's perfect. See, Jesus did a perfect job at the cross. And when you add on things, you're actually saying, Jesus, it wasn't finished, we need to go and help you with this. And we can't do that. Jesus said it is finished. Now, the biblical departures from the gospel, if we look at them, the first one is that people turn away to liberalism. I mean, the grace, of, and liberalism is this, it's that God's grace is there so that you have the freedom to sin without God's judgment, which is quite bad. I mean, um, Jude exposes this in Jude 4, where he says this, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who were long ago marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and denying our Lord God and our Lord Jesus and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with me, I mean, we look at lewdness. It's not a word that we usually use a lot today. So I looked it up, and this is what happens: men are teaching that God's grace is there for lewdness, and lewdness is unbridled lust, excess sinfulness. Like, if you really think about it, when you look at all the LGBTQ come flying into the church, I even have a friend that spoke to me one day, and Joel, he said to me, he said this, he said that God condones gay marriage and it's biblical. And I'm scratching my head thinking, this guy's a pastor's son, and he believes something as silly as this. I mean, that's what, what it is. They're pretty much corrupting the gospel so that people can live in lust. It's not there for that purpose at all. The other thing that people go to is the other extreme. It's called legalism. Now, that by doing good works and obeying laws, salvation is earned. And this is exposed in Romans 3, 19 and 28. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So obedience to the law has no way of making a sinner righteous. Only by faith in Jesus Christ can one be made righteous. Right? I'm not against obedience, but if you add it on to get saved, that obedience becomes works. I'm against putting it in the wrong place. Even the Bible says the law is good if you use it lawfully. But if you use it unlawfully, you end up with another gospel. The next one is traditionalism, that man-made teaching, customs and practices as equal or above God's word. 
And even Jesus dealt with this with the Pharisees of his day. And Jesus said to them this, For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of men, making the word of God of no effect through your traditions. And that's Mark 7, verses 8 and verse 13. So man-made tradition makes the gospel of no effect, and tradition makes man blind to the truth. And what we need to understand about a false gospel is this. It will pervert the grace of God, it will make God's word of no effect, and it presents work-based ways of being saved. That's what a false gospel always does. It corrupts things. I mean, if you look at false gospels in the church today, a lot of people might be offended with what I share right now, but I will share it anyway. But I don't share this to be proud at all. I share it because we need to have a pure gospel. Right. right. What I want to introduce you to is something called New Testament legalism. We can look at Old Testament legalism where people add the law on, but there's ways that people actually do this with New Testament obedience. And the first one I want to share with you is Lordship Salvation, which teaches this, that the gospel plus works obedience equals salvation or equals saved. And this is the problem with Lordship Salvation. It teaches that Jesus needs to be the Lord of your life for you to be saved. It teaches that if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. It adds on practical obedience or a commitment to obey Jesus as Lord to be saved. And salvation is validated by your obedience, good works and service, not by Christ's sacrifice for your sins at the cross and raising from the dead. Now, I want to highlight this thing to you, right? What it is, is this. If I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, it's good. When I first heard this teaching, I thought, oh, you believe that Jesus is Saviour and Lord. That's fine. But when you go and add on the practical aspects of obedience, where you've got to go and obey Lord, the Lord for this or obey the Lord for that, and you do those works to actually make it so you get saved through those things, it's Christ's, it's the gospel plus your works equals salvation. And that's what we need to be aware of. And even to make a commitment to do good works, it's not our commitment. It's his works. Once he saves us, he gives us a, a new nature. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And we're able to walk in the newness of life. We can't create the newness of life in us. Only Jesus can through the Holy Spirit. The next one is discipleship salvation. The gospel plus discipleship obedience equals saved. I mean, discipleship salvation adds on a call to discipleship to be saved, which is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. It teaches that faith plus following Jesus in the works of evangelism, making disciples, denial of self equals salvation. Being saved involves you following Christ. But I'll share with you something. The best person to expose this teaching is Jesus. And I'll show it to you. It's found in Luke 9.23. This is what Jesus said. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you see how it's got the word daily there? Who gets saved every day? I don't see any hands coming up because salvation is a once-off event. You don't get saved daily. But you know what? You can be a disciple daily. You can obey Jesus daily. And I want to point out something to you. I'm not against once you get saved that you obey Jesus as your Lord. That's an awesome thing to do, but if you're doing it to get saved, that's not good. I'm not against discipleship. I think it's great to be a disciple of Christ and follow him. But if you're being a disciple to get saved by his discipleship works, that's another gospel. And I point out these things not to pick on people or pick out people or anything like that. I don't know exactly what you believe, but I share these things so that you stand on the purity of the gospel. Because it's important. If it's important to God, it should be important to us. Now we're going to look at the warning of Galatians because what we're going to be looking at today is this. The problem when the law gets added onto the gospel. We're going to go more in depth with that, but we need to beware of another gospel. And Paul, he warned the Galatians of the different gospel that come in Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through to 9. And he said this. He said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him that called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now I want to point out something. The Galatians actually received the true gospel from a good preacher. They received it from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul went to the Galatians. He taught them that Christ died for their sins, that he rose from the dead, and they received it. So they received the true gospel. But then afterwards, some people come in and they gave them another gospel and they turned aside to this other gospel. And that's why the book of Galatians was written to deal with the other gospel that was given to the Galatians by these false teachers. Now, what is the false gospel the Galatians accepted? Well, this is what it says. It says, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. That's Galatians 5.2. So circumcision was added on to the gospel. The other thing that was added on to the gospel was found in Galatians 5.4. It says, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Do you see how they've added on two things? One is circumcision. The other one is the law. The reason why circumcision was added on is because what initiated someone into the Mosaic Covenant was circumcision, right? The reason why they added on the law is they thought that you had to come back under the law to do those things. But what the Apostle Paul pointed out is, is that Christ will profit them nothing and you have fallen from grace if you've done these things. Now, if you really think about it, right, if you add on circumcision in the law, that's what they did to equal salvation. That's what they added on. So how does adding on circumcision in the law affect the gospel? I mean, listen to what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. See, adding on the law and circumcision to the gospel makes Christ's death meaningless because Christ died to make us righteous by faith. I mean, if you do a gospel test here, you've got that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. They added on circumcision in the law. That's a false gospel because it goes towards works. The next one is some people add on lordship salvation. That's a false gospel because it goes towards works. It's your works. Discipleship salvation. It goes towards works. We have to have a gospel that's not caught up in our works it's caught up in accepting the work that Jesus did what is the outcome of a false gospel it says you have become estranged from Christ you who attempt to be justified by the law you have fallen from grace so the two outcomes of falling from grace or from the principle of grace are these here's the first one the first outcome of receiving a false gospel is not getting saved from your sins right just say that you're unsaved and someone preaches a false gospel to you and you believe that gospel to get saved. It doesn't save you. It's this, false gospel plus you equals not saved. That's the first outcome. But here's the second one. The second outcome is you receive the true gospel, but someone taught you another gospel and you departed from the principle of grace to a works-motivated religion. And that's what it looks like. With That's what the Galatians did. They received the true gospel they went to another gospel. And this brings us to our third point, the first outcome of a false gospel, not getting saved from your sins. So the solution is to understand that salvation is by grace. We need to come back to the grace of God. And one of my favourite passages for teaching the grace of God is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. So the first thing we see is that we're saved by grace. grace, And saved is in the past tense. So you're not looking to get saved, you are saved. It means that you have everlasting life now. Saved by grace, which is, you no, know, grace is God's unmerited favour and salvation is motivated by God's unconditional love. It starts with God. Well, how is it applied? It's applied through faith. Faith in what? It's the gospel that Christ died for our sins. He rose from the dead. So we're saved by believing the gospel and trusting in what Jesus did at the cross for us. 
And notice this, it's not of works. Salvation cannot be earned by good works. You can try your best to do it, but you can't do it. One of the things I like to tell people is if you're trying to do a lot of do's to get saved, it's a load of do-do. Right? That's the truth. Right? And works do not work. It also says in the Bible this, not of yourself. Right? You can't do it. If you could do it, Jesus would not need to die on the cross. He would not need to go there. Salvation is not of you. God does not save people by self-effort or self-righteousness or self-anything. Now, we need to learn the next thing. Salvation is a gift. Now, I'll ask you a question. If I held up 50 bucks and I said, it's a gift, and I'll give it to you if you will make me the Lord of your life, is that really a gift? It's not. I'm actually purchasing a slave here, if you really think about it. But a free gift is something that is given freely, right? Like when you have a birthday present, someone gives you the present for free. They don't come up to you and go, hey, do 20 push-ups, I'll give you the present. They don't come up with an invoice and go, hey, happy birthday, that's 35 bucks, thank you. Right, that's a sale. And this is the thing, this is a gift. The gift doesn't cost you, it costs God. He paid for it. And Joel paid for it with? His son's blood. That's why it's important to understand that it's a gift. Now, what is the gift of salvation? This is important to look at. This is what it says in Romans 6.14. It says, For sin shall have no dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. So under grace, sin has no dominion. It doesn't have the rulership over you. But under the law, it does. Sin has dominion. Because that's what it says there. Here's the next one. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That's Galatians 3.2. If you really think about it, when we believed in Jesus, we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit to come and live inside us. But in the law, the Holy Spirit does not indwell all believers. It only indwelled some people for ministry. But the law does not give you the indwelling Holy Spirit to make you born again. It's grace that does that. Do you know that the law, if you're trying to look at it to get saved, it leaves you in your first birth? This is Galatians 3.21. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been of the law. See, the law cannot give you life, so it can't make you born again. But grace makes you born again. Even in Galatians 3.26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. No, the law actually, you're left guilty. If you're trying to get saved there, you're left guilty because it says, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all, James 2.10. But under grace, you're justified. It means that you're declared righteous. A man is justified, declared righteous by faith without the deeds of the law. Romans 3.28. Under the law, if you're trying to be saved by it, sin abounds. You try your best to do it and you've got sin upon sin upon sin. And it says that the law entered that sin might abound. But under grace, sin is forgiven. It says in him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.7 Under the law, you actually end up left under the curse of the law. It says for many as are of the works of the law are under the curse for it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things written in the book of the law to do them. That's Galatians 3.10. But we look at Christ, we're redeemed. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Galatians 3.13. The law actually brings wrath. And you know, in Romans 4.15, that's exactly what it says. The law brings wrath. In other words, what, it doesn't take away God's wrath, it just brings wrath because it promotes more sin. But under grace, wrath is appeased. He, Jesus, is the propitiation, appeasement of wrath for our sins for the whole, and, and for the whole world. That's 1 John 2, 2. And the law is called the ministry of death. And that's found in Galatians 3. So the, it calls the law the letter that kills in 3, 6. The ministry of death, written and engraved on stones in 3.7, and the ministry of condemnation. 
Man, who wants to line up for an altar call for that? I wouldn't. That's just silly, you know. You're going to go through some, a lot of troubles trying to get to salvation that way. But we're under the ministry of everlasting life. When the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you think about it, when you believe in Jesus, you get given the gift of everlasting life. When you have the gift of everlasting life, you get a new nature, and that new nature you get to live out. And, that, and if you think of the fruit of the Spirit, where you've got the love, the joy, the peace, and all the other ones that go along with it, that's actually the character of God. That's God's everlasting life shining out of you. And the other thing that we can look at is too, as we look forward to a time where our sinful nature is taken away, that our bodies are glorified, and that we will be everlasting, body, soul, and spirit. And that's the ministry of everlasting life which Christ gives. It's not the ministry of death, but of life. But the law, it leads to God's judgment. And it says this, whatever the law says, it says, it says to those under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. But under grace, we have an eternal inheritance. This is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through to 4, and it says, Blessed be, the God, blessed be God who has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. So in conclusion, you have a look at it. The law actually leaves you under the dominion of sin in your first birth. It leaves you spiritually empty. It leaves you under the ministry of death. You're left guilty, cursed. Sin abounds. It brings wrath and it brings judgment. So if you're aiming to get saved that way, it's not very wise. Right? It does not lead to heaven. It leads to hell. Right? We can't add on the law to the gospel. But under grace... Sin has no dominion. We're born again. Amen. The Holy Spirit lives inside us. We're under the ministry of everlasting life. We're justified. We're declared righteous by the cross. We're redeemed. We're purchased back from even sin as well as the law. We're forgiven of sins. In other words, released. Wrath is appeased. Internal inheritance. Isn't that an amazing gift? Like you sit there and you look at it and I probably left some things out. But I, I mean, I look at these things and I'm quite amazed by what Jesus has done for us giving this gift. But here's the second outcome. This is the last point of a false gospel. Receiving a true gospel and then departing to a false gospel of works. Now, the second principle we've got to deal with is that God's grace produces godliness and righteousness. That's what we need to understand. God's grace produces godliness and righteousness. And listen to what Titus 2, 11 through to 14 says. For the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So the first thing we need to look at is the grace of God teaches us. That is important to look at because when it says the grace of God teaches us, it actually means that God himself personally, he trains us, instructs us, and he causes us to learn. He even chastises or corrects or moulds us. He reproofs us and he admonishes us like a son. This is the father dealing with the son. And what does, he, how does he, what does he teach us about? He teaches us to deny ungodliness, to reject wickedness and piety and lack of reverence for him, to deny worldly lust, in other words, to reject inward desires of pride, selfishness, hate, greed and sexual lust. And he teaches us to live. And if you think about it, this word for live, it means true life, to be full of life and abundant life. And he teaches us to live soberly, out of a sound mind, temperate and discreet. He teaches us to live righteously, which is just, right, upright and equitable and godly, like God, reflecting God's image and piously and reverently. 
And he also teaches us this, and I'm sure that Sam and Jim would like this one, to look forward to the second coming of Jesus. Because this is the thing, I mean, he teaches us godliness, he teaches us to deny worldly lusts, but he also teaches us to look forward to him, which is really good. And I'm glad that the Lord does that, seriously. So how does one turn to a false gospel? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the Galatians. He said, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who called you. That's Galatians 5, 7 through to 8. So people needed to realize that the persuasion that they had does not come from God. So who hindered the Galatians from obeying the truth? It says it here. This occurred because false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ that they might bring us into bondage. Galatians 2.4 What is the purpose of these false brethren? This is important to know. They zealously caught you but not for good. Yes, they wanted to exclude you that you would be zealous for them. This is what that means. They wanted to exclude them from the gospel or people from the gospel to be zealous for a false gospel. If you really think about it, the reason why someone would do that is because they don't believe the true gospel to begin with, which is quite a full-on statement there. Um, here it says this, as many as desire, desire you to make a good show in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. If you really think about it, they seek comfort. They don't want to be persecuted. And the suffering of the cross ceases when you've got a wrong gospel. You no longer suffer for Jesus. You suffer for something else. Here's the next one. Not, ever, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And that's Galatians 6, 12 and 13. To, and they do it so that they can boast in your flesh. If you really think about it, they can't even keep the law themselves. Right? Even if you look at someone saying, Jesus, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all, who can keep that? Who can do that perfectly? I can't. I mean, I want to obey Jesus as my Lord and love him as my Lord, but you want to know something? I'm not perfect. Can I do perfect discipleship? No. The thing is, is the people that boast in these things don't even fulfill it themselves. What is the inward progression of a false gospel? In other words, how does it affect someone inwardly? But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. That's Galatians 4.9. And what it is, is that they know about God. They turn to the law, and this is what's described as. It's weak. It's strengthless. Beggarly, poor. In other words, there's no riches in these things. There's no riches in going to a false gospel. It's like going to an empty bank account. You can't draw on it. You can write checks and they'll all bounce. And it brings people into bondage, slavery of the law. Even a false gospel does these things too. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. And this is what it is. Estranged means to be separated from Christ. It means that the power that Christ gives believers to be practically fruitful is cut off. And to be teamed with Christ to share the gospel and to make disciples is unattainable. Do you want to know why? Because if you haven't got the gospel, you can't share it. And you can't disciple people into something that's not worth bothering with. Well, Jesus said, He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And he said, My little children in whom I labour in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and change my tone, for I have doubts about you. So he had doubts for the Galatians to be Christ-like. See, no one can be Christ-like through the law. We cannot manufacture a Christ-likeness by our own strength, for godliness is, of, is God's work in us. We need to abide in Christ. Right. Now, the outward progression, I'm just going to skim this one. It's man-pleasing. Because what happens is... is when you come into a church that has a false gospel, you'll start to see man-pleasing picks up in it. And in Galatians 1.10, it said this, 
For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I seek to please men, I would no longer be a bondservant of Christ. The other thing is, is that with the false gospel, it it separates you from true believers and brings the fear of man into your life. It says, now, when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would not eat with the Gentiles. But they came and withdrew and separated, uh, and he separated himself, fearing those of the circumcision. If you look at Peter, he was more worried about what man thought about him. He had a fear of man there, and he separated himself. So a false gospel separates a brethren. It makes a higher group and a lower group. It exalts one man above another, and people begin um, to be group-centered instead of Christ-centered. A false gospel brings division and destructions as well as church splits. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you destroy one another. I mean, you've probably been through a church split. I've been through three. Learn one, something different each time. But if you see the church splits going on, sometimes you might have to look, what are people believing? A false gospel causes disunity and fights among brethren. For people are no longer received by grace but by a standard of performance. If you perform the law and circumcision, you're accepted. If not, you're rejected. There's no unity in the Holy Spirit in a false gospel. See, a false gospel leads to self-righteousness and sin. And that's some things we've got to learn. And I think I'm going a bit over. So do you want me to wrap it up? A bit tired? Yeah. Okay, I'll keep going. This I only want to learn, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit and now be made perfect by the flesh? So in other words, you begin with the Holy Spirit when you get saved and you become born again. But if you turn to the law or a false gospel, you end up living according to your sinful nature. And it says the works of the flesh are evident, which are adulteries and fornications, because that's of the sinful nature, forbidden sex outside marriage. It leads to uncleanness and lewdness, which is impurity and unbridled lust. It leads to idolatry and sorcery, which is worship of false gods, witchcraft, magic and drug use. It leads to hatred and jealousies, which is hostility and enmity, zeal for indignation contentions and outbursts of wrath where you've got strifes and troubles and heated, ang- heated and boiled up anger. And it even leads to selfish ambition which, where one puts themselves forward or has a fractitious spirit or fights and squabbles for position. It leads to heresies and dissensions. In other words, false teaching producing disunity and group divisions. And it leads to envy and murder, ill will, bitterness or even to kill someone. And it can also lead to drunkenness and revelries, which is intoxication or riotous drinking parties. And the flesh cannot produce righteousness, only unrighteousness and self-righteousness. And if you have a look at those things there, if you notice with the Galatians, you would see that selfish ambition would have been what the teachers were like. And then the heresy and dissensions would have come in. Then you would have had like the, the fighting going on, so you would have had contentions, outbursts of wrath. And if you look at false gospels, even in the prosperity gospel, how many people have heard people going away to sexual immorality? Lots. Even Mike Bickle we've heard of. There's Todd Bentley, cheated on his wife. Then he was welcomed back. Then he went off and became a homosexual. I mean, you see those things when people go to a false gospel. So what must one do if they believe a false gospel? Well, it's very simple. There's a word there which means repent. In other words, if you believe that the law saves you, you're actually living according to your flesh, you need to repent. You need to change your mind from this false belief and come back to what the gospel says, to come back to the purity of the gospel and live according to the Holy Spirit and your born-again nature. Because what happens is, is you need to choose to walk in the Spirit. Because the Bible says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Um, Believe that you died to the law. I mean, the apostle Paul said, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. 
For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, uh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So live by faith in the Son of God. Realize that when Jesus died on the cross, you died. The other one is, is don't be yoked to the law again, or even in a sense, don't get caught up in the false gospel. Stand fast, therefore, on the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and do not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. So stand in the liberty of Christ. And the last one here is this one. Sow to the Spirit and reap everlasting life. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. That's Galatians 6.8. Now we've already looked at the corruption from adultery to fornication all the way down to drunkenness and revelries from the sinful nature. But when you sow to the Spirit, you live according to your born-again nature and you end up with the fruit of the Spirit. You end up with love, joy and peace and love is brotherly and sacrificial. You end up with joy, a calm gladness. You end up with peace, a quiet rest. You end up with long-suffering where you have patience and forbearance. You end up with kindness where you show integrity. You end up with goodness, which is an uprightness of heart or faithfulness, which is trusting and having faith in God. I even like the way Pastor Gary explains faithfulness. He says it's to be full of faith. The other thing is, is we end up with gentleness, which is meekness or power under control. And we end up with self-control. And that's the power to master desires and sensual passions. And it says, against such there is no law. And that's Galatians 5, 22 through to 23. So in conclusion, beware of false gospels, for they can stop people from being saved. See, a false gospel can stop someone from being saved. Remember, a false gospel is not according to the grace of God. It will lead you to trust in your works and in yourself and separate you from Christ. A false gospel will turn you into a man-pleaser instead of a God-pleaser. It leads to separation from true believers and causes you to fear man and brings disunity in a church. And remember, a false gospel will leave you trusting in your sinful nature instead of the Holy Spirit. This is usually done in blindness, so you may not even notice that. And last of all, if you've trusted in a false gospel, repent. Change your mind and trust in the truth. Turn to God and choose to live according to his spirit. And don't get caught up in a false gospel trap again. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just pray, Lord, that we could be faithful to the gospel, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us within our spirits to live for you. We pray, Lord, that if there is anything wrong in the way that we approach the gospel or think of the gospel or believe the gospel, may your spirit convict our minds and our hearts and may we repent and turn to you, Lord. May we live for you. We want to live according to your ways, not our own ways. We want to walk in your truth, not our own thoughts. May we be, beware of man-pleasing and look to be God-pleasers, Lord. And help us to be set apart for you, Lord, because we don't want to be caught up in the foolishness and lies of a false gospel. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.